In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about a magician's assistant and a mad hatter, dangling soap, excessive flirting, a train heist, and the chattering, the chattering. In our discussion of Waistcoats and Weaponry, Finishing School, Book the Third, by Gail Carriger. The chattering, the chattering. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I think I'm Claire. <laughs> I think so. I'm... You, you are a Mad Hatter and I am a magician's assistant. Oh yes, that is a uh, very happy birthday. <laughs> Any, today we're going to discuss Waistcoats and Weaponry by Gail Carragher. Standard disclaimer, if you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't in this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. We look delightful. And watch as I pull a rabbit out of my hat. (laughs) 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 Milady. Can I say how excited I am about wearing a top hat? You can. I'm excited to be wearing a top hat. Me too. (laughs) I'm excited about being a dandy vampire today. Yes, we're dandy vampires, not... A magician's assistant and a mad hatter. And a mad hatter. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. You look fantastic. You look fantastic. Everyone needs to remember that this month we're sharing all of our videos online. You don't even have to be a member of our Patreon at all, although you should be, to watch these videos. So, I mean, we just, we have to outdo ourselves every week. And I mean, no I, don't, I don't know if anything is going to top the Dandy Vampire. I know. We've been so excited for the Dandy Vampire. We have been. We really, really have been. Do we have any background information for Waistcoats and Weaponry? We do. And I chose this bit especially for the cover photo I'm going to take this week. Ooh. Found on com, which seriously, if you have not gone to check out her website, it's amazing. There's so much information on Miss Gail's website. It's so fun. So this is from an article that she wrote or talked about or a blog post or whatever you want to call it called Waistcoats and Weaponry Breaking Down the Cover. Sophronia's Fan. She says, I don't interfere much with my cover art. Often, or I try not to, I think Little Brown did a great job, and they did. But for waistcoats and weaponry, I really pushed the fan. I mean, it's key to the plot and Sophronia's favorite. Then she says, I even went so far as to mail my fan to New York so it could be a prop in the photo shoot. I cannot tell you how delighted I am that they used it. Isn't that adorable? That's her real fan. That is amazing. In the cover, but they photoshopped blades onto the end. Her fan is not actually bladed. Of course. I mean, I don't know if you would be able to ship a bladed fan. 
no. cross country. No, I don't think so. But I'm excited because long, long ago, I made a fan that kind of looks like the one that's on the cover. Yes. So it's going to be in our episode picture this week with Bumper Snoot. Is one of my craft projects for the future. It's something I've wanted to do for a long, long time, and it is. Yeah. It, it's it's there in my head. I just need yeah. the materials. So exciting! I love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Oh, that might be one of my favorite like background info things. Isn't it really ever. neat? Like the th- yeah. oh, that's her actual fan. And if you look um, at this article or at this blog post on her website, she's like, there's a picture of her posing with the fan. It's super cute. Miss Gale is so adorable. Um, this book is my favorite of of this quartet. Really? Yep. I, uh, I don't know. I, I, th- I read them as one just giant story. Right. So I find it difficult to, to separate, but the concept of it, a heist story. Yeah. It's just magnificent. Yeah. And I like... I mean, not that I don't love Mademoiselle Geraldine's Finishing Academy for Young Ladies of Quality, but I like that they're outside of the school in yes. the majority of this one. Yes, it's nice to take them out of the comfort of the school setting and yes. to see that they have the skills and the capabilities of handling everything, everything outside of the school. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's amazing. Miss Gale is never a chore to read, is she? No. <laughs> these, I mean, these are like comfort reads. Completely. Funny story this week, I was talking to a, a colleague at work and she's a huge bibliophile as well. Um, she's joined a book club and actually pushed Fictional Hangover. So, hey. Hey. Um, and she went, oh, I've just been reading this book. Um, uh, no, uh, this book. And it's reminded me of this other author. You might like them. I went, oh, who? Gail Carragher. I went, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my sweet summer child. I refer you to multiple episodes, including interviews. She's very jealous that we've had the opportunity to speak to Miss Gail in the past. And that Miss Gail is integral to our origin story. She so is. She's amazing. <sighs> let's get. Let's do this. Let's, Fine. Let's, let's, let's do before insult. before we have emotions. Point zero zero one percent. Professor Braithwope leagues in the air and with Sister Maddie's prized foxglove on his head, is twirling back and forth between the pilot's bubble and the deck of Mademoiselle Geraldine's finishing academy for young ladies of quality. Since his fall from the dirigible where his tether snapped, the vampire teacher has displayed increasingly strange behavior. No top hat. And he's sporting a cape. <gasps> Professor Braithwope asks one of the young ladies in his class to dance, and Sophronia steps onto the plank. As they dance, Professor Braithwope's conversation flitters about from Queen Victoria not liking punch to the supernatural's distrust of mechanicals. Lady Lynette, fetched by Agatha, who's worried for a friend, calls Professor Braithwope back to the deck and asks him to please bring Miss Temenick with him. Nimbly, Professor Braithwope returns leaving a precariously balanced Sophronia behind. 
Thank goodness Sophronia has her hurley and uses the handy little device to climb into the pilot's bubble, shedding petticoats to squeeze through the hatch. Instead of finding people, Sophronia sees a giant mechanical pilot. Whilst taking in the scene, an egg-shaped pod arrives through a communication tube with a note inside from Professor LeFou, providing instructions for Sophronia to locate a rope ladder. Can I just interject here that poor Sophronia cannot keep a petticoat? No, not a single one. She's lost so many petticoats. I think there's a quote about being an intelligentsia is hard on the petticoat. Yes, yes, there is. (laughs) After tea, the ladies have lessons with Captain Nile, and they tease Sidhe for her obvious preference for their werewolf teacher. While they chat, Prussia skulks in. Since Monique left the school for the Westminster Vampire Hive, Prussia has taken over as chief thorn in their side. Case in point, she is terribly unkind to Agatha, which Sidhe does not stand for, and therefore threatens Prussia with an attack of nibbly bits. <laughs> On the way to their lesson, Professor LeFou asks to speak to Sidhe, who has been sent a pigeon. <gasps> Something big must have happened to warrant a pigeon. Oh my god. As they disembark, Sophronia spots Soap, who is manning the deployment crank, and gives her a cheeky wink. Captain Nile is introducing the ladies to a new weapon, the bladed fan. Guards have been added for safety and to stop Dimity from fainting. However, during the duel between Sophronia and Pressure, the nasty girl strips the guard and slices Sophronia's arm, resulting in a crumpling Dimity. She really <laughs> needs to get over this whole blood thing. She does. <laughs> Sophronia leaves the guard on and switches from defensive moves to offensive, pressing Pressure towards the stream. Reaching into her chantelet, Sophronia plucks her perfume and flicks some of the liquid into Pressure's eyes, causing her to fall back and into the stream. Once the duel is <laughs> over, Captain Nile calls for Lady Kinnear to tend to Sophronia's arm, but she confesses that Sid here isn't there because she received a pigeon. <gasps> <gasps> After lessons, Sophronia decides she adores the fan and desperately wants one. Dimity, when she comes round, points out she will need one in every colour to match her outfits and suggests Sophronia gets a patron to finance her. Sophronia has been keeping up correspondence with Lord Akeldama, who has sent her occasional gifts, so maybe he could send her a fan or be a potential patron? As the ladies head back into the school, Sid here is waiting, and she doesn't look happy. <sighs> Sid here looks broken. And she requests a private conversation with Captain Nile. Sophronia, Dimity, and Agatha head to their next lesson with Lady Lynette, where the teacher wants to have a word about the unsanctioned gadget Sophronia used earlier, her hurley. With the hurley quickly and safely stashed in Dimity's reticule, Sophronia declares it lost during her rescue. Whoops. Lady Lynette wonders if they're training her too well and questions her possibility of patron. Sophronia says she would like to work for herself. To the class, Lady Lynette declares that the girls are ready to learn about the fine art of seduction. And everyone's attention is captured. 
Today, they shall master the look. Which is perfect timing, because Sophronia's eldest brother has gotten himself engaged, and their parents are throwing a ball, providing the perfect opportunity to try the look. Out on Lord Mercy. Oh. Sid here hasn't returned by the time we finish lessons, and the teachers don't know that she is gone. Sophronia, Dimity, and Agatha try to cover for their friend, but they can only do so for so long. They don't know what upsets Sid here to surmise it must be something to do with her grandfather, though. Could he have been challenged and lost his position as Alpha? After Lady Lynette has made her rounds, checking if the young ladies are asleep, Sophronia sneaks out to the boiler room. She wants to see if Soap heard anything about the pigeon. <gasps> Soap doesn't have much information for Sophronia, though he knows there is unsettlement with the King Air pack. No one seems to have died. However, Lord Macon is losing control. Soap thinks Sidhe has gone to London, as rumor is Lord Macon was seen headed there. During their conversation, Soap admits he would go Clavager, a servant to werewolves that may earn the possibility to become one himself, which surprises Sophronia, and her rage against it startles Soap. Then they talk about her brother's ball, and Soap is jealous that Felix, Lord Mercy, will be going and dancing with her. Sophronia pines for the relaxed way things used to be, and decides that growing up sucks. Yeah. Yeah, it does. A fortnight passes with no word from Sid here or Captain Nile. Everyone is moody and sullen. Not even the prospect of a ball and her birthday brightens Dimothy's mood. Sophronia doesn't visit the boiler room either because she doesn't want to encourage soap. Eventually, the dirigible arrives at Swithlon X, taking on water before mooring outside the town. Professor Braithwaite's eccentricities have escalated, and he is taken to shaving off his grand moustache, which goes back straight away. <laughs> Today, however, he has only shaved off half before getting distracted. <laughs> Sophronia cannot look away from the half moustache. It's fascinating. <laughs> Sophronia and Dimity have been excused from his lesson as they need to rest before their early start to the Temenic residence. As they are chatting in bed, someone knocks at their parlour door. It's Soap. No. He wants to make sure he didn't scare Sophronia off and again expresses his displeasure at Felix. Soap obviously wants more from their relationship, but Sophronia wants to keep him in the friend zone. Does she though? No, she doesn't. Not even a little bit. Mm. Mm. the look. <laughs> Joining Sophronia and Dimity in the cart to the Timonic home is Dimity's brother, Pillover. I love Pillover. <laughs> who has been roped in as Dimity's escort to the ball, which is embarrassing, but necessary. And Felix. Ooh. Roger, their driver, has someone joining him up front, but the stranger keeps their head down and says nothing. Sophronia and Felix discuss mechanical transport, and Sophronia practices her flirting on Felix, which works a treat. Oh, eyelash fluttering. 
hands near bosoms. Oh, the look. Blue steel. <laughs> when the conversation turns to Pickleman, Felix gives very little away, though Sophronia's curiosity is obvious. The group arrives early that evening and finds the house a hubbub of activity with extra mechanicals borrowed from the neighbours zipping about. The ball is a masquerade and Dimity dons her. The ball is a masquerade and Dimity dons her Queen of the Mechanicals costume as Sophronia is attacked by her sister's wielding curling irons. <laughs> For her own costume, Sophronia begged an old dress from Sister Matty and she and her friends tailored it, covering it with pockets to be filled with useful items and making her look like a sooty. <gasps> Pillow the knocks, grumbles something to Dimity and disappears. And while the rest of the room are discussing Pillow's broodiness and his obvious broken heart, only they can mend, Dimity lets Sophronia know Pillow needs to speak to her in the gazebo. Dimity provides a distraction for Sophronia to slip out. I love the distraction. Eek! A mouse! Eek! And it's just Bumbersnoot, like, waddling around underneath piles of stuff. Eek! Bumbersnoot is so helpful. Bumbersnoot is the best. He's the best. Pillover has a message from Lady King Air through Viev. Her pack is in disgrace as they were caught planning to murder Queen Victoria behind her grandfather's back. Lord Macon has killed his beta and abandoned them, intending to challenge for the London pack, so Sidhe is headed to London to send him back to King Air. Before Sophronia and Pillover can leave, Mrs. Temenek catches them alone together <gasps> and demands... Pillover, make an honest woman of Sophronia. <laughs> Dimothy would love to have Sophronia as her sister and advises supplying her brother with bacon and books so she can run the empire as the queen's intelligencer without interruption. It's a really good plan. It is. It would work out well for everyone. I know. Pillover, he would be fine with it. He would be fine. He's a husband in name only. Sophronia finds the situation hilarious, as do we, and shamelessly flirts with poor awkward Pillover during the ball. As would we. As would we. <laughs> during their dance, Sophronia tells Felix about being caught with Pillover, and he offers to walk through the gardens with her too. A wink. As with every dance they have ever attempted Ever. they are interrupted <laughs> and this time a mysterious dandy cuts in was it you, was it you? It's you? <gasps> no it's soap <gasps> he was roger's friend in the cart mm. soap has also heard whispers of her engagement with pillover and looking over to the poor lad it is difficult to believe, as he has been accosted by a, a glutton, a, a deluge, a plague of young ladies. <laughs> Felix, not happy about the interruption, squares off with soap. In the meantime, Pool Pillover has made his way over to beg for help to escape the 
the bevy, the gaggle, the monstrosity of the murders. <laughs> to add to the oncoming chaos of the evening, Sid here enters the ball wearing a very plain dress and no mask with two werewolves, one of which is wearing a jaunty top hat. <laughs> I love this entire scene. I know, me too. I love it so much. <laughs> I especially love Soap and his, like, haughty accent that he puts on. And nobody knows it's him because his face is fully covered by a mask and he's wearing, like, a powdered wig and really tight pants. <laughs> oh, very tight. Yeah. It will make a comeback. <laughs> oh, I love him. Oh, I love him so much. <laughs> Demonstrating excellent hostess skills, Sophronia introduces Lady King Air, daughter of an earl, to her mother, gives some nonsense about Sidhe's masquerade costume, and ushers them, plus Dimity, into the family parlor before sending the wolves to find some of her brother's old clothes. Meanwhile, Sidhe tells her friends she begged her grandfather to go home and forgive the others, but he is alpha of the Woolsey pack now and lost to her because she has chosen her pack over her grandfather. Then... The wolves, now in human form, enter. As expected, one is Captain Nile and the other is the Duan, the Queen's werewolf advisor. Captain Nile comforts it here and it's plain to see there has been a shift in their relationship. Sidhe introduces Lord Slaughter, the Duan, who states he is satisfied with the change in Alpha for the London pack and reminds Sidhe that she is not, in fact... A werewolf, and therefore it is none of her business. He understands why Lord Macon has done what he has and sees it as necessary. Sid here then confesses she asked her grandfather to give her the bite, but was refused, which is understandable as there have only ever been three female werewolves in history. The werewolves brought Sid here to Sophronia with the intention that they take her back to school with them and have provided a note for Lady Lynette to explain her absence. Captain Nile and the Duan are to carry on to Scotland. After the wolves take their leave, the boys enter the parlour. Soap is concerned about his friend Sid. Pilliver sits on the floor playing with Bumbersnoot and Felix stays on the fringes, not part of their circle. Dimity relays the tale, minus the fact that one of the wolves was the Duan. Sidhe then asks for Sophronia's help to get her to King Air because she needs to be with her pack and is convinced she can hold them together. The fastest means would be by train. In fact, she would beat Captain Nile and the Duan there as the following night is a full moon night. Sophronia hatches a plan involving... <laughs> Boys' clothes, a picnic, a distraction, and the air dinghy currently hiding in the rafters of the conservatory. Suddenly, there's a knock on the door. Mrs. Barnacle Goose crashes in with an item to deliver to Sophronia, though it really is beneath her skill level to do so. Thanking the undercover intelligencer, Sophronia stashes the package inside Bumbersnoot before they set off to escape the ball for Scotland. At midnight, the speeches are about to start. The mechanicals go completely unhinged. It's a feast of mad pirouetting before the mechanicals go still. Then, as one, they start to sing before finally dying. 
the humans go completely unhinged as well. Who will refill the champagne? Who will turn down their beds? Who will stalk the nighttime fires? Who will make the tea? (gasps) This wasn't Sophronia's plan, but she takes advantage of it. As the air dinghy doesn't have a propeller, they catch a breeze and float to the train station where, in a stroke of good luck, a train is waiting for them. This peculiar though, it's first class passenger trains and two freight trains which are crammed together. That's that's odd. That's a weird train. It's a very weird train. Working together, Sid Hay lassos the carriage and Sophronia uses her Hurley to catch the train. As one, Sophronia, Dimity, Sidhe, Soap, and Felix pull the dinghy down to land on top of the train, lash it down, and deflate the balloons. Climbing into the first-class carriage below, the group finds it... empty. The ladies take the opportunity to change into their boy disguises, but poor Dimity looks... silly. And not even a smudge of ash mustache can disguise her femininity. (laughs) Poor Dimity. (laughs) Meanwhile... Bumbersnoot poops out Sophronia's package. It's a gift from her vampire. A bladed fan. Yes. How did he know? How did he know? I love how he knows. But it's a secret for now. It's a secret. Felix is jealous she's receiving gifts from a man of means in London. And Soap seems withdrawn, which makes Sophronia sad. She doesn't want to hold him back. Even if it is so he can go for Clavager. Later, Sophronia is on the train roof fetching her hurley and goes for an explore of the train. She finds a carriage that looks more like a shed and inside is a very well-dressed gentleman. Too well-dressed, which makes Sophronia think he may be a drone. He is sitting, snoring, next to what looks like a communication machine with a crystalline valve but larger than the one on top of Bunsen's school. As the train stops at a junction switch, Sophronia watches to see what happens, and hears a very familiar, bossy female voice. Oh no. Oh no. Back with the others, Sophronia tells them that Monique is aboard. Then Sophronia and Felix argue about vampires. Felix's bigotry is showing hard. Ugh. Soap interrupts them to share that the clouds have cleared to reveal a dirigible. Is it an escort? Are they following it? Or could this just be complete coincidence? There's nothing to be done about it, so they decide to rest, taking turns on watch, until they arrive at Oxford shortly after breakfast. Monique steps out onto the platform with the mail drone. Together they sit, take tea, and read the newspaper on the platform. Soap ducks out to disguise himself as a sweeper to listen in on their conversation. Giving his friends a jaunty smile and drinking the rest of Monique's tea, Soap pilfers a newspaper and heads back inside the carriage with nothing much to report, unfortunately. The two were arguing about range, but nothing specific. The drone asked Soap about mechanicals in Oxford, but he gave him a sassy, non-committal response. There isn't much in the paper either, though Felix spots a small article about a minor mechanical malfunction, and Dimity sees another. Sophronia supposes that the train is responsible, and they were running a test. Soon, the train continues on its journey. 
bored and desperate Lutte. Sophronia declares it's time they stole the train. They can't trust Monique to get them to Scotland when she doesn't know that's their destination. So naturally, they have to commandeer the train. Naturally. What naturally. else? Of what else course. are you going to do? We need a train heist. <laughs> they use Dimity's masquerade costume to disguise the train as a jaunty circus before Dimity and Felix head off to the shed to steal the crystalline valve, which Dimity will hide in Bumpersnoot. Bumpersnoot is such a good place to hide things. Bumpersnoot is the MVP of this entire series. He really is. Meanwhile, Sophronia, Sitte, and Soap head to the engine, where Monique is. Monique goes for Soap, while Sophronia excuses the engineer, and the stoker surrenders to Sitte, who recruits him. Sophronia steps into Soap's battle with Monique, and using her belated fan, realizes that she's a better fighter than Monique. She's pretty much better in every way than Monique is, though. 100%. I mean, really. Once subdued, the decision whether to toss or keep her must be made. Ugh. I need to keep her because she may prove useful. So, Sophronia binds her hands and leaves her to dangle from the doorway. Outside, the dirigible starts to sink down and lands on the tracks in front of them. <gasps> Flywomen! Soap slams the brakes on. Sophronia and Sidhe go out to meet the flywomen, with Dimity and Felix following behind. Dimity informs Sophronia that the drone was dumped off the train a while back, so it won't be a problem. But he was monitoring messages and noting them on a map, not sending messages. For three days, the flywomen have watched the train following them, and now they want to borrow it. Sophronia plays up that they are Bunsen's boys who took the train for a lark. See, they have Lord Mercy and Lord King Air with them. We're just out for some fun. Yeah, it's fine. This doesn't stop the flywomen from pulling out weapons. So Sophronia and her band of merry boys pretend they have people backing them up too. Mm. The flywomen question Felix's identity. And during the exchange, both sides become frustrated and agitated, to the point that Felix is shot. Ugh. Ooh. Cursing as he drops to the ground, the bullet graze doesn't stop Felix from flirting mercilessly with Sophronia. And of course, behind them, Dimity faints from the blood. From the Flyway Men dirigible trots out a man wearing a top hat with a green band. A pickleman. <gasps> he also happens to be Felix's father, Duke Goldburn. He's holding a sundowner weapon, a weapon able to kill a vampire on one end and a werewolf on the other. The Pickleman dirigible was sending the signals making the mechanicals mess up, and they picked the Tamanek ball because they knew Felix was going and would unknowingly give a full report to his father. That is some serious scheming. God, yes. Dimity finally comes round, and Sophronia gives her instructions to get to the train and go full pelt at the dirigible because they need to get out of there. Unfortunately, the Duke stops her. 
While Sinte and Dimity cause a distraction, Sophronia stuffs her Hurley into Bumbersnoot, again, excellent hiding place, and gives him instructions to get to soap. After a few moments, the locomotive starts to crank to life. The train starts moving forward, so the flywomen, Duke Gorborn, and Felix race toward the dirigible before it is smashed, and the girls leap back onto the train, waving to the Duke as they go by. The airship hasn't risen enough, though, and the train hits the bottom, causing valves to fly everywhere from a crack in the hull. Monique points out that the Mechanicalmen have been planning this scheme for a long time. The new valves are being placed in mechanicals when they are being serviced, which will mean they will soon have a mechanical army at their disposal, which is bad because only supernaturals don't use mechanicals. There has been no overt action against the Picklemen because there are too many of them in too high places. Nighttime falls and they need to rest, so they pull into a small country station. As well as food stocks running low, Dusty, the stoker, points out that the coal reserves need restocking. And it may or may not be because Bumbersnoot has been eating all of the coal in the the reserve. (laughs) During the night, Soap and Sophronia take watch, and Sophronia and Monique verbally battle, mostly about Soap being beneath Sophronia. Eventually, Sophronia gags Monique instead of enacting any of the many ways to kill a person she has been taught. (sighs) She should have done it. Monique has hit a nerve, and Sophronia now feels awkward with Soap. In the morning, they carry on their journey and elect to push Monique out of the moving train and into a very dirty duck pond. Yay! Yay, finally! Not long after, Dimity spots a dirigible on the horizon. Could it be the Pickleman again? Sophronia and Sidhe start to help Dusty stoke the engine. They want to build their speed to try and outrun the airship, but by sunset, the coal tender is empty, and they haven't lost the dirigible. Instead, the train is now in range of the dirigible's cannon. No! The cannon fire has hit the train, knocking one of the carriages loose. Sophronia climbs to the roof and runs to the back of the train. However, she doesn't have the brute strength needed to force the carriages to separate. Deciding she needs help, Sophronia heads back to the engine for Soap while the Pickleman fire the cannon again. Soap, with a little help of another hit from the cannon, manages to free the dragon carriage. From the dirigible, the Duke pulls a gun and points it at Soap and tells Sophronia to stop the train. Mm. Sophronia tells Soap that if the four people on the train separate, the one airship can't follow them all. Oh, that's math. That is math. Putting on a show for the dirigible, Sophronia and Soap embrace like Shakespearean lovers who would be parted forever. <gasps> then Soap uses the hurley to swing them down to the ground, Sophronia cutting them free with her bladed fan. The dirigible doesn't follow the train. Instead, it starts to sink down. As the Duke disembarks, two werewolves appear, Captain Nile and the Duan, who shift into human form. The Duan, completely naked, lays into the Pickleman, and Sophronia tries to be helpful and tell the Duan what has been going on and that Sidhe is aboard the train. 
No one, however, can provide any evidence to their story, and no mention has been made of the Pickleman's nefarious evil plans. Suddenly, there is a scuffle on the dirigible. Felix is trying to get free and shouts something, but is muffled before it can be made out. Then, over a hill, Sidhe, Dimity, and Dusty come marching, carrying weapons and Bumbersnoot. Duke starts to back towards the dirigible and shouts, Now! ordering a volley of gunfire towards Sophronia and Sorb. As Duke Goldborn tumbles back inside the ship, displaying his yellow hose, the Duan charges for the dirigible, which has started to lift, but in human form he can't reach them. Captain Nile covers Sophronia from the gunfire and takes a bullet, which he will luckily recover from. Suddenly, Sophronia realises Sorb has been shot in the chest. <sighs> and is losing a lot of blood. She hears a scream and realises it's coming from her. Oh, no. Crying, she forbids Soap from dying. But really, nothing can be done. <laughs> Dimity doesn't faint, despite the copious amounts of blood Soap has lost, because it's too serious. The Duan comments that, thankfully, it wasn't someone important, which makes Sophronia turn on him, and she orders him to bite soap. The Duan protests, but she challenges his superior alphahood, and also promises that when she is finished, she will indenture herself to his service to pay him back. Captain Nile says she's one of the best Mademoiselle Geraldine's finishing academy for young ladies of quality has ever produced, but the tipping point being that Lord Akeldama is already courting her. The Duan agrees. The Duan successfully metamorphoses Soap. Sophronia sits stroking Soap in his new wolf form while watching his wounds heal. The Duan will need to take him because Soap is his responsibility now, and he must ensure he adjusts to being a werewolf. It might take a while, though, and in the meantime, his metamorphosis must be kept a secret. He also tells Sophronia he will not hold her to their bargain. A new werewolf is rare and gift enough, but she wants to. Captain Nile will continue on to Scotland and will take over as Alpha of King Air, but the pack is being shipped out to India as exile for their punishment for trying to kill the Queen. Though Captain Nile isn't a true Alpha, he is the Duan's best option in England. Captain Nile will take the train to Scotland and hide the transmitter at King Air. Sophronia points out that he will need Sidhey with him to drive the train. The Duan then declares that Sidhe and Captain Nile will be married after a long engagement. His marriage to Lady King Air will help cement his position as Alpha. In time, Captain Nile hopes to earn Sidhe's affection, though no one doubts that will be a problem. <laughs> At all. Ever. Mm -hmm. So, while Sidhe will head overseas with her family, Sophronia and Dimity will go back to Mademoiselle Geraldine's Finishing Academy for Young Ladies of Quality. First class, with appropriate clothing, says the naked Duan. As they prepare to part, Sophronia and Dimity needle Sidhe about Captain Nile as only friends can. How will Sophronia take down all the picklemen in England without Sidhe? Well... Bumbersnoot will help. 
It's so good. So good. So good. This is my favorite one. Oh, trade heist. I love a trade heist. Yeah. Right, my darling Daddy Amanda. We shall go to the ball whilst everybody listens to this other podcast promotion. Oh, yes, indeed. Hi, I'm Bethany Finger, the host of Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club podcast. Join me every week during my read-along journey through all of the books by author Marissa Meyer, one chapter at a time, spoiler-free. Each episode will feature a different guest, new fan art, and laughter and joy through reading. You can find Prince Kai Fan Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other listening platforms. And now, back to the show. I do declare. Is that soap over there in the masquerade? God, I wish. <laughs> I love soap so much. Oh, Felix, I won't dance with you. We will never finish it. Goodbye, boy. <laughs> so, apart from loving... Page one to page the end. Mm-hmm. Stand up moments. Okay. I have to let everyone in on a little secret. Ooh. The first time I read this book, which was years ago, when it came out, because I was reading these as as they were published, I almost had an emotion whoa when soap got shot whoa i know i know i almost had an emotion i remember i was working at one of the libraries that i worked at i'm in south florida and i was like cleaning out a closet or something rearranging puppets or something ridiculous which is probably what i was doing and i was listening is means playing she was playing with the puppets yeah i was 100 percent playing with puppets <laughs> but i was listening to the audiobook and another one of my coworkers was also reading this and i like i walked out of this closet and i was like how far have you made it in the book and she was like nowhere near anything like what you're doing should be happening <laughs> like oh my god you have to read it faster <laughs> wow and then i had to wait wow. for the last one to come out so i was left i was left with my soap dangling <laughs> although he is transformed and metamorphosed and he's fine but still you know he's fine you know he's metamorphosed as well but you don't know if you're going to meet him again that's the main thing like, oh, i know he, he the duan needs to take him and in theory, a werewolf needs to do their military service for the queen. So, in theory, he could have been sent to India with the King Airpack at the same time. And we would never have seen Soap again in the finishing no. school series. No. So, yeah, you're left with dangling Soap. No, no I, I agree. The first time I heard it. I was, I was listening to it, and you know, I literally went, 
was screaming, biting yes. to the point where like my husband came in and was like, "You all right? <laughs> What's going on?" <laughs> no words. You know, it's just panic noises. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's so stressful. Yes, yes. Thankfully, though, Miss Gill doesn't leave you hanging so much that you're like frustrated with it. Right, and all of her books are so happy. Like, she couldn't have physically destroyed us without something coming from it. Considering the love people have for Soap and the demands there are for Soap to have his own series of books, imagine if she had killed him off. That would have been a mistake! There would have been riots in the streets. There would have been petitions online. No. No. I can't imagine a world without soap in it. Everybody needs soap. Everybody needs soap. So other than soap and me having an emotion, which is a big deal. It's a big deal, Mm. TM. Um... I really liked this ball. I mean, they go to balls all the time. But I really, really liked this one. I would love to go to a masquerade ball. I would love it. Yes. And I love that Sophronia dressed up like a city. And then Soap was there. And instantly knew (sighs) she was a city. Yes. I mean, come so on, so precious. Your friend's owning soap, but you're dressing up as a sooty. Yeah. Yeah, you've got no romantic feelings whatsoever. No. You don't keep smelling him, or feeling his arms. Staring at his muscles. You do not smell somebody the way she smells soap. No. Without having an attraction. Mm-mm. Mm. I love him. I love him so much. I think Soap might be one of my most favorite book characters of all time. I yeah, might I, can, I, I might can, like I, I Soap more than I like Adrian. And oh, everybody knows like how much I love Adrian. I love Soap more than I love Adrian. You don't home. you don't like Adrian. <laughs> Hey, I'm still on that hill with you defending it. Yeah. How about I like Soap more than like Dimitri? Yeah, that's fine with me. That doughy motherfucker. <laughs> Not in the TV sort of series. <laughs> it's spoiler alert, it's Adrian who's the doughy motherfucker in the TV <laughs> Isn't Vampire Academy if it doesn't have a doughy motherfucker? It has to have at least one doughy motherfucker, but we are getting way off track here. Oh, completely. We need to get our train back on the track. No. Pillowover might. I don't even think Pillowover's doughy, going by the way that swooning ladies who are determined to mend his broken heart. Yeah, now that he's gotten a little bit older, I think he might have lost his baby fat. Baby fat is um, gone. He's shot up inches. Yeah, he's got a dark brooding. He's emanating ennui. He is. He's he's full emo, really. He's he, he's a he nerdy is. emo. You know, and the girls are just lapping it up. 
If he had joined the Pistons and was wearing eyeliner, oh he would God. be 100% like everyone That's, would be swooning all over the place for him. That is, If he did that, he would be impregnating people with looks. He would be. He really, really would be. It... Do you, do you know how we've read the the Lifely Deadly series, the, the, the three spin-offs from this? Yes. Are you kind of getting in... I haven't read this series since I've read the, the, short, the short stories. And now when I'm reading this, I'm getting some new appreciation for the characters mm-hmm. and their, their younger selves. And it's knowing what happens with Pilova and just his integrity. Yeah. It kind of makes him hotter. It really does. I'm not saying he's hot in this because he's like a, child. Know, a minor. He's yeah. a child. Yeah. But you know, if it was sixteen year old Claire, I can she can she can appreciate sixteen year old Claire can appreciate that. Yes, definitely. <coughs> Claire is like hmm, okay. All I can right. see the man that he's going to turn into. Yeah. Especially that when they get on the carriage to go to Sophronia's house. He's like, so, uh, Agatha's coming? Is that Agatha going to be there? And they're like, nah, she's not. Agatha? No. She, she might be behind the plant pot. She is. She was there the whole time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> series i know so the masquerade ball let's talk about that a bit because i loved the masquerade yes. like ball scene i love the prelude when pillova and sophronia get engaged yes <laughs> and sophronia's like mother no he is my best friend's younger brother we are just out here having a chat no and she's like He's oh no your delicate sensibilities. You like, shall be married soon once we do the the appropriate checks to your background. You come from a good family. You come to my house. You you eat my Christmas dinner. You have the figgy pudding, and now you shall have my child. <laughs> and then Pillover's like Agatha, <laughs> but Agatha, but but Agatha. But maybe being engaged will make me less attractive to the young fillies. Nope. No. It wrong. It makes you more. You're wrong. So wrong. So very wrong. I love the way he was just terrified of all the young ladies. Oh, I know. They're like swooning after him. Oh, He's I like, know. Please, help, help. And then the square off between Soap and Felix. So this is before Felix even realises it's Soap. He's like, listen, mate, you've got knee chance. Felix is going to win. He always does. He's git. He's in a connected. It's going to happen. You're probably a no one. I'm sorry. Now, will you please save me from all the young girls? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So much fun. And then, of course, Felix and the Sophronia's dance gets interrupted again. Of course. When, the, when is he going to get the idea and just don't dance with her? Cause it's just not don't. Well. Stop or wasting end. your time. Yeah. Did you find Felix a little annoying in this one? I did. Like, what happened with him? Because he was so swoony 
in the first couple of books, but now it's just like, ugh, come I think on. Racism is showing. Oh, it really is. He's like, just you disgusting. Could a vampire one. or a werewolf without his bigotry Mm-mm. coming out? Yeah, it was awful. It's like, why did you go along in the first place to help Sid here get to her werewolf pack? Yeah. You should have the ball. I know that you know throughout this book, Sophronia is really like waffling, trying like she's like, Oh, but he's so dreamy, he's so handsome, his eyes are so beautiful. But then she's like but he's kind of a douchebag. I mean she doesn't say douchebag, obviously. Like can I Yeah, she wants to, like what can I do? How can I make him realize that he's wrong? I have to change him. But, like, you can't. You cannot change someone who's like that, no matter mm. how hard you try. He will change through life experience. Right. You lecture. can't force that change. He has to realize that on his own and become a yeah. better person. It's a I, tough love situation. It is. Yeah. And I feel really sorry for Sophonia because... She knows Felix is the quote-unquote correct option for her, giving class and, you know, separation. and <sighs> But it's not where her heart is. No. Her and heart <sighs> needs soap. Her heart needs soap. But soap at least understands that if he were to get Clavager... And he were to successfully metamorphosis, then as a werewolf, his skin colour, his low stationed birth, his working class background means nothing. Yep, it doesn't matter anymore. And I love that while Sophronia is like trying to change Felix, Soap's trying to change himself. And that just goes to show like how much better of a person he is i don't even think it's like change per se it's develop and learn and become a more worldly and world well-rounded person and it's education rather than (sighs) fundamentals right i was just using change because he's changing into a werewolf i'm But yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't want to like. Yeah, but like he's he's trying he's trying to become better, and he knows that where he is right now in his life, like he's not satisfied with that. He knows Mm -hmm. that he can do. He knows that he can do better. He knows that he can be better, and so he tries. He wants to. He wants to be better, even though he's perfect in every way. But you know. I just appreciate that Felix is just such a twat. And Soap, like, Soap is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I just... Felix, for me, like, you know when he got shot and, yeah, it was just a, a, a surface graze on his leg? Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm shot, I'm shot. Oh, hello, Safari, would you like to... Tend my wounds. Oh, like, guess it make you... it better. Like, mm-hmm. fuck off. Can, can you 
not for like two minutes be such a lecherous flirt? Just stop. Mm. Let's read the room. Let's assess the situation and go from there. You're not in a parlour right now. You're not at a ball right now. You've been shot. You're in the countryside. Your father is over there. You're on some freaking rain, uh, train tracks after stealing a train and you're flirting. Yeah. No, stop it. It was just so annoying. And I completely think that if when Felix grows up, he is going to just be toxic. He is. Every poor is just going to have toxic behaviour and toxic masculinity just pouring out. And I just... Ugh. Yeah. Oh, boys will be boys. No. Mm-mm. No, no, no. No. I'm glad he got shot. So am I. I just wish it was a bit more perfect and a bit more of a painful area. Yeah. <sighs> I'm sure as hell Dawn thinks Sophronia would have indentured herself to the Dwan to save his life. No, I, I don't, don't think I don't so. Think Felix would well Felix wouldn't wanted to metamorphosis, but I don't think he could right. metamorphosis. No, I don't so. think he's got the soul for that. No, not at all. No. Ugh. Ugh. Do you find it weird that they use a pigeon as like their gasp? Yeah, <gasps> pigeon. Serious news outlet. Like it's what? freaking pigeon. I mean it's a homing pigeon. Those guys are trained. They know what's up. Oh, they are. They're very well trained. I used to work with somebody whose son kept uh, homing pigeons and used to race them and everything. But it's a freaking pigeon. Like, you know, a diamond. <laughs> how else How else would they have gotten the message? I don't know. It's just it's a pigeon. And I don't know if it's the British in me just thinks it's, it's a pigeon. <laughs> You can go down anywhere in this country and just be surrounded by those little rats with wings cooing. I don't. You know my feelings on birds. I do. I, I do. do not like pigeons. And that is what I was going to say. I was going to say I think that you're letting your distrust of birds taint your opinion on their messaging system here a little bit. And I am donned in, in peacock feathers today because, you know. You are. Well, it's because probably those birds are far, far away from you. You've just burgled their feathers. They might not I, even be real peacock feathers. It could be might faux. Not be. I burgled them from a place called Etsy. Mm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. But I can hope they're not alive. Sorry to any animal lovers. I probably don't mean that. She actually probably does, but it's just because she really mistrusts birds. I I, I like penguins. I like owls. Birds of prey. I freaking hate peacocks. I'm sorry. So much. I'm sorry. Anyway. Anyway, I will say one of my favourite scenes. Was Sid here throwing nibbly bits at pressure? <laughs> it just, yeah, it just decked me. I was like giggling away, 
and um, Monique being pushed into a very dirty duck pond. Yes, that was also very good. Didn't Sid Haith, did she actually throw rolls at Sophronia when Sophronia was dangling? And they were like, well, it's time for tea and we have to leave you out here at the very, very beginning of the story on the pilot's bubble. Did she throw, did she actually throw her food or did she just say she was going to throw her food? I think she threw at least a roll. Yeah. So yeah, Sid Hay's just... all about throwing food in this one. Yeah. She's just left, right, and centre. There's just little bits going on all the place. People are taking sausage rolls to the eye, cucumber sandwiches to the to the bums. It's just crazy nibbler bits everywhere. Yeah, and just oh, it killed me. I really, I really thought it was funny. I did sort of miss the teachers a little bit. Yeah, but I mean, at least we got a good chunk of Professor Braithwaite. Oh, poor Professor Braithwaite. I know. That was something else that I almost had an emotion about, but that was the last book. When he fell and his tether snapped, like, he's my favorite. He's my favorite professor, and now he's just... He's not right. He's not he's right not in the head. Half of stuff. And the fact that it keeps growing back is hilarious. You know the whole... In- the Simpsons when Homer Simpson shaves his beard and then poof, it just goes back straight away. Yeah. That's instantly what comes to my mind. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's what happens with Professor Braithwaite. Definitely. Definitely. Were there any of the standout moments for you? Um, no, I can't I can't say so. I mean it's it's so hard to choose favorite bits, favorite things about this these books because we love them so dearly, but no, I think I think we've covered everything that I really, really loved. I guess, no, you know, I really did enjoy Sophronia coming to love the bladed fan. Yes. I liked that fight scene. That was pretty great, especially because she was just watching Prussia while Prussia comes at her, like, nonstop. And then when Prussia takes the cover off the blades and, like, actually cuts her what are you thinking Prussia? poison is your weapon why are you so excited about this fan but i i appreciate that sophronia watched her saw everything that she was doing like learned everything about how to win this fight with her and then she just flicks perfume in her eyes and pushes her into a stream love it it was really great. But that just harkens back to some of other Captain Niles uh, lessons about distraction and using the tools around you, yep. including the landscape. Yes. And it was, you know, some dirty fighting that she learned from soap, flinging stuff into your opponent's eyeballs. But it worked out in the end. It was fine. Exactly. Who came out the victor of that? I know. Not Prussia. Mm. In her, uh, it it was really, it was really fantastic that both Prussia and Monique ended up in dirty water. Oh, it was somewhere. poetic! It's poetic. Ooh, I'll tell you what we haven't talked about. What? The Pickleman conspiracy with the mechanicals. Yes. That's obviously going to play out. Yes, it's the big really, finale yes. next in the final book. I really like that. In the first book, the prototype is just like, 
this throwaway thing and you think, oh, what's even going on with this prototype? What is this? And now look how important it is. And it showed up a little bit in book two. And we learned that like that's how they're sharing messages. And now look at what this prototype, which is, you know, the crystalline valve is actually in production now. And this is what it can do. This is serious stuff. But it just started out from one little throwaway line, really. One just like tiny little nothing. Oh, it's just it's this thing that Monique has. And now look how important it is. Yeah. But that's obviously why Gail Carrick is such a good storyteller, because she drips feeds these little tidbits and these little things. Yes. Like Pillow asking about Agatha. Yeah, Agatha? Um the air dinghy that is built into the Temenix Conservatory from book one yes. now being very important in book three. Yeah, everything's coming back into play. Yes. It's very fantastic. crafty. She's very such, good. She's such a good storyteller. Oh, completely. And it's a slow burn build up to this big, oh my God, actually there's a massive conspiracy going on. Yeah. And, and it grows as... Sophonia and friends grow. Yes. And they're able to tackle it, which is just, ooh. Yeah. And I really enjoy that, you know, they get on the train and they see that Monique is here. And they're like, oh, God, it's the vampires. The vampires are behind it all. And like, no. They're kind of trying to stop everything bad from happening. It's the pickle yes. men that are, that are the bad guys. Pickle man. Pickle man. Uh. Uh. <laughs> it's, just, it's just perfect it's perfect storytelling yes on a train heist on a train heist I love it I love it it's like Arkham Horror card game the LCG my favourite um, storyline was a train heist nice I, I, it was so much fun I, I absolutely adore a train heist it's just it's such a simple concept, like you're stealing your train. But the way it can be done, the cleverness behind it. I love it. I love it. It's just so much fun. <laughs> you know, that really ties well into our first would you rather question. Ooh. First though, I think it's safe to say favourite characters, soap. Yeah, without question. Everyone should know that by now. If yes. it's not bu- Snope, if it's Snope. If it's not Soap, it's Bumbersnoot. And I was going to say, well, Bumbersnoot's just the MVP of the entire right. series. Yes. So. Yeah. Were there any surprises? Mm, I'm honestly just surprised they didn't dump Monique much sooner than they did. Yeah. But I am um, glad that they tossed her off the train. Oh, God, yes. Dusty not realizing that the girls, especially Dimity, I mean. Come on, Dusty. You might just be a, a, an engine stalker, but come on. It's Dimity. Look, he's just really open-minded. He's fine with it. He's fine. He's <laughs> <laughs> keeping his head down, shoveling coal, trying to shovel the coal before Bumble like, the Soup can eat it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Should one do the would you rather's now, sir? One should do the would you rather's now. Bravo, bravo. 
It's time. It's time for pew. wouldn't you rather. Pew. 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 I'm not going to keep that voice up. I'll annoy everybody. We asked on social media, would you rather steal a train or steal a dirigible? On Facebook, it was 55% are stealing a dirigible. On Instagram, 80% are stealing a dirigible. On Twitter, 73% are stealing a dirigible. And on TikTok, 52% are stealing a train. We have your details. We will be letting the authorities know what you're stealing. We will. We know everything about you. <laughs> we have lots of lovely comments. So we I'm do. just going to dive straight into them. Excellent. Colin on Facebook said, Dirigible, dirigible, dirigible. Then I can live out all my sky pirate fantasies, which are many and varied and almost always end in impressive and swing-worthy sexy times. As Vince pointed out, dirigibles are very flammable, but so are trains. I mean, who could ever forget that horrific scene? I I believe it was the 82nd Harry Potter movie where the terrible turf and all her hideous creations burned alive on a trip Hogwarts. I haven't read that one yet, but mm, seems reasonable. It's on the internet, I think. Oh, sorry, it's a movie. It's a movie. Excuse yeah, me. I think it's fan made. <laughs> Annie on Facebook says, "Dirigible, I already have the Sky Pirate outfit." Vigilante. Vigilante with her pirate costume. Vigilante's gonna be a Sky Pirate. Bree on Facebook says, I'm going to see a train because I'm boring and terrified of heights. That's not boring, Bree. That's sensible. Smart. Strength. Smart. Constance on Facebook says, if you steal a train, it's only a matter of time that you'll get caught. It's on a track, but with the dirigible, <laughs> the sky's the limit. <laughs> it's perfect. It's a perfect comment. Perfect comment, Constance. Drew on Facebook said, train for me, I can't be dealing with heights as well. <laughs> See, people being sensible, I like it. Yes, yes indeed. Vince on Facebook, this is the comment that Colin was referring to, said, we all know dirigibles are highly flammable. Yes, yes they are. Uh, Eric Fenn on Instagram said, a dirigible hands down. You look cool for one thing and like... Is it really stealing a train if it's still on the tracks? For legal reasons, yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Real Jackson Ford on Instagram said, Dirigible, who wouldn't want to ride a dirigible? People afraid of heights. Yes. See above comments. See above. And finally, L20Kev on Instagram said, Steal a train just after I steal a DeLorean. Then I'll recreate the ending of Back to the Future 3. Also, I'm scared of heights, so I'll never go in a balloon. Love the pop culture reference. Yes. Thanks, Kev. Yes, we do love a good Back to the Future reference. L20 Kev, really, he really knows us. He does. I love Back to the Future. Me too. (sighs) What are we doing, though? I don't want to go in a balloon. I don't. So I guess I'm stealing a train. Because that just scares me. The balloon scares me. A train is classic. It is. And you can carry more people. You can carry more goods. 
So, you know, if you're stealing a lot of things, you can transport them easily. I just feel like it will be tough in a dirigible. There's a weight balance, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also feel like if you steal the train, you can then recreate murder on the Orient Express. You could. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going with train. It's classic. Also, the idea of falling from the dirigible whilst trying to steal it. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I'm not into that. So, yeah, let's steal no. a train together. We'll be gentlemen thieves. We will be. And no one will style. know. That we are ladies. Although, I think they're going to struggle with you a little bit. Only on account of the amount of bosom that you have. Damn you, boobs! Damn you, Available boobs. as a t-shirt on our Redbubble site. Fictionalhangover.redbubble.com For all your favorite fictional hangover themed merchandise. <laughs> Very good. Oh. <sighs> We didn't even plan it. Never do. We never do. (laughs) Okay, next one. Next question. Would you rather dance with Professor Braithwoke, Felix, or soap? And why is your answer soap? (sighs) Soap strong arms and he smells so nice. And you can practice your look. You soap. can. Oh. Oh. So strong. So dreamy. If soap weren't involved. Oh, no. I know. Even if it was on top of the pilot's bubble, on a plank way up high in the high high air i'm choosing professor braithwaite over felix because i don't like felix anymore at all and i mean i i would dance up on the rooftops up in the most precarious of places with professor braithwaite because that's how much i dislike felix now this also feels a little bit like an fmk question yes yes it does but we don't need to bring that game back well, let's just agree to kill Felix after we store in the train, and that will be yes. our murder on the Orient Express. Yes, perfect. <sighs> it all ties together. Yeah. I agree, though. Professor Braithwaite, leagues in the air, dancing the quadrille on a tiny plank, is preferable to Felix. Yep. Yes, it is. Yes, he is. Okay, next question. Would you rather be dumped in a duck pond or have nibbly bits thrown at you? (laughs) How much are the nibbly bits going to stain my beautiful dress? Oh, this beetroot. Oh. (sighs) Maybe a cheese pie. Hmm. Can I eat any of it? Yes. If I can eat it. You can catch it before it falls on the floor. Unless you declare the five second rule. If I can eat it, I'm taking the nibbly bits. Yeah. I don't trust duck ponds in front of duck poo. Could I just open my mouth? Yes. And try to catch the nibbly bits? Sorry, nibbly bits. Catch it. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're gentlemen, dandy, 
with thanks. We it's are. The bit I'm throwing at you is a blue bag. That's fine. <laughs> Next question. Would you rather indenture with Lord Slaughter? Soap is a werewolf and there is no end to your contract because you failed to negotiate terms. Or indenture with Lord Akeldama for 20 years. Soap remains a human and you have all the bladed fans an intelligencer could want. You see, if it's Lord Akeldama, you're not becoming... A drone. Right. You're still an intelligencer, so it's not as if you're going to go for the metamorphosis. Though he could apply for you. He could. But, as we know, supernaturals in Britain, either werewolf or vampire, very rarely work out well for the female. Yeah. I feel like Lord Akeldama would be more fun to work with. Yeah. And I want the Blade of Fans. All the fans. But Soap doesn't get what he wants, which is the deciding factor as well. I know. Ooh, this is hard. I know. I'm putting thought to- I'm possibly putting too much thought into this. I think that you probably are. I'm going to go Lord Akeldama because Vampire... I know. That's the answer. That's the only correct answer that there is. If if I if, if I was Sophronia, it would be Lord Slaughter. But I'm not Sophronia. Right. I'm Claire. Right. So and I'm freaking dressed up as a freaking dandy vampire. <sighs> yeah. Of course I'm gonna pick Lord Akeldama. Hello. Hello, it's Lord Akeldama. <laughs> I feel like you're safe with Lord Akeldama too. Like, he's not going to sleaze on you. He's going to oh, buy God, no. you nice things. He's, you know, going to have lavish parties. And I don't know. I just feel like he's the safest choice. Knowing how he's treated other intelligences under his payroll, and, you know, when they've wanted to self-develop or they have personal objectives that they would like to meet, yeah, he's listened yeah, and help them advance and change, and yeah. you know he's he's helped their own personal growth. Yeah, he's met their wants and needs as well as them meeting his. Yes, I do think he. We don't know how harsh he would be if you fuck up. We've never met that side of Lord Akeldama. Well, because you won't fuck up around Lord Akeldama because you know. No, and I think he's probably got a wide enough and big enough network that. If you needed to call in Goldenrod and his other agents, you could. Yeah. Plus, it's Lord Akeldama. I mean, come on. I know. It's Lord uh, Akeldama. I know. He's so good. Okay. Last question. Would you rather go back to Mademoiselle Geraldine's Finnish Academy for young ladies of quality and finish? Or be exiled with the werewolf pack to India. Now I'm going to Mademoiselle Geraldine's Finishing Academy for Young Ladies of Quality. Of course. Yeah, I'm coming with you. We shall link arms in our finest garb and travel first class together. We shall. 
we shall. Let us dance a quadrille above the land. But not on the plank or the pirate's pool. We'll right. The, the deck. We'll do it on the deck. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Deal. It's a deal. And then we shall sit in the parlor and plot and plan. And have nibbly bits. And have nibbly bits. <laughs> While Bubba's feet flitters about our feet. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect decision. Uh, favorite final thought quote so many so many i wrote down so many there's lots of good ones yes i'm gonna I'm, have to go with this one just because i keep saying about it you shouldn't okay. go around being nasty when the rest of us are armed with nibbly bits ah <laughs> oh, sit here if i could do a scottish accent i would do you justice <laughs> Um, it was hard to be antagonistic over the comfort of food on a rainy day. Mm. Are you completely biscuit-minded? <laughs> I think I might have been hungry when I was picking my favourite I think you might have been. <laughs> Especially, that's tea for you, thought Sophronia, the great social lubricant. <laughs> Tea solves everything. I could give you a million more, but I'm going to let you take over now. Okay, okay, that's fine. This was this was probably my favorite line from the audio, just because of the way it sounded. His fangs were extended, causing him to lisp slightly, and he punctuated his quadrille with a maniacal laugh that, if inscribed for posterity, might have been written as mwahaha. <laughs> yes that that line of the audiobook was perfection there was a an insult as well <laughs> i hope you've picked have i i picked i think i picked a good one i think i picked a good um a good insult is it you upstart poodle faker was yes <laughs> Yeah. I honestly can hear you saying that to people. <laughs> oh, that makes me happy. Um, let's see, what else do I have? What else did I choose? Oh, this other one. This is my last one. I only had three this time. It's Pillover. With all the ladies surrounding him. They chatter! They chatter worse than Dimity ever did. Oh, the chattering. The chattering. It haunts me. <laughs> the chattering. I wanted to say it when you were talking about Pillover's troubles earlier, but I I didn't because I knew it was coming. The chattering. Oh, it haunts me. <laughs> oh, poor Pillover. Poor Pillover. So mm. Honestly, I could give you a million more, but I'm not. I know. Go There's so read the many. Book yes. Listen to the book. Yes. Listen to it for sure, because more work is outstanding. All right. If you liked this, try this. What are you um, suggesting? I'm going to recommend a graphic novel. Oh, nice. I haven't read it. It is literally on my TBR list this week. Um, it looks very good. I would not say it is. It, it, look, it looks like it's uh, an adult mm. one as well. Okay. 
Um, it's called Little Monsters and it's by Jeff Lemire and it's the artist is Dustin Wynn. <laughs> they are the last children on Earth who also happen to be vampires. For longer than they can remember, these child vampires have lived a life of eternal wonder amongst the ruins of humanity. But shocking events fracture the group and set them on a path of discovery that will shatter their innocence forever. It's described as Lord of the Flies meets vampires. Now, everybody knows I detest with the fiery, burning passion Lord of the Flies. But you love vampires. But this has got vampires. Right. So it's fine. It was it's fine. fine. And both the author and the artist are award-winning, and it looks good. It looks really gritty and dark. Mm. So nice. I'm there for it. Nice. So, yeah. Plus, it's not often I can come across a good-looking vampire graphic novel at the moment. I think <sighs> I've either read them all, or they're a bit meh. What about that one that I suggested to you? Dracula, motherfucker! <laughs> that one sounds ridiculously fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I'm suggesting today. Might be on our banned books list. It might. Ooh, cursy words. I know. <laughs> oh. What's yours? The Wisteria Society of Ladies Scoundrels by India Holton. That's my workbook. Is it? That's a, yes, that's the book I'm reading when I go in the office. That's wonderful. <laughs> I'm about it, halfway through it because I haven't been in the office for a little while. It sounds delightful. It's so, so sarcastic. <laughs> All right, here's the summary. Cecilia Bassingwaite is the ideal Victorian lady. She's also a thief. Like the other members of the Wisteria Society crime sorority, she flies around London drinking tea, blackmailing friends, and acquiring treasure by interesting means. Sure, she has a dark and traumatic past and an overbearing aunt, but all things considered, it's a pleasant experience. Until the men show up. Ned Lightborn is a sometimes assassin who is smitten with Cecilia from the moment they meet. Unfortunately, that happens to be while he's under direct orders to kill her. His employer, Captain Morvith, who possesses a gothic abbey bristling with cannons and an unbridled hate for the world, intends to rid England of all its presumptuous women, starting with the Wisteria Society. Ned has plans of his own, but both men have made one grave mistake. Never underestimate a woman. When Morveth imperils the Wisteria Society, Cecilia is forced to team up with her handsome would-be assassin to save the women who raised her, hopefully proving, once and for all, that she's as much of a scoundrel as the rest of them. It's fun. Vigilani is in this. Vigilani would be a perfect member of the Wisteria Society. Nice. <laughs> no vampires, though. Uh, that's okay. Not everything Just can have vampires pirates. in. See? Sky pirates are fine. <laughs> I love it. Do we have anything in our spotlight? 
We do. We do in our new and in Indie Spotlight segment. Um, this one is coming out in January, I believe. So it's not out yet. And as our potential change of segment name, it has a couple of tenuous links. <laughs> Doesn't have any vampires, though. I don't think. Anyway, Queen Among the Dead by Leslie Livingston. <laughs> that feels ironic. <laughs> Livingston? Livingston. Dead. Livingston. I know, yeah. In the kingdom of air, banshees chill the air. The water whites lurk in the rivers. But magic is outlawed by the king and jealously hoarded by his druid priests. Neve is the youngest daughter of the king, and Ronan is a druid's apprentice-turned-thief, making a living by selling stolen spells. They should be enemies, but their shared hatred of the druids, and a dark magic that has marked them both, makes them unlikely, if uneasy, allies. When Air is threatened by a power struggle, Neve must seize the chance to take her rightful place on her family's throne. This is my tenuous link. This is Sid Hay trying to take her rightful place as Alpha of the King Air Pack. Tenuous link. Anyway. <laughs> With the help of Ronan and the realm's most dangerous outcasts, they Neve struggles and does all this stuff. Their journey takes them to the outskirts of Air, where magic still runs free, and where an outlaw and a warrior princess might carve out a future with spells and swords. Ooh. It's a little more fantasy than we typically cover, but, you know. I like fantasy, though. Yeah. Fantasy, and it's like, you know, when we talk about sci-fi, I'm like, oh, good sci-fi. You need good fantasy. Yeah. Hmm. All right. That's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss Dead in the Family by Charlene Harris. And don't forget about our upcoming live episode on Sunday, October 30th. Yay! We're going to be live again. Hooray! Check out all of our social media for posts about that. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise, like damn you boobs shirts. <laughs> and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com, follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover, and on Twitter at fictionalhangover, no E-R. If you'd like this episode, check out our others, a rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening.